continue with us in the spirit and in the series that we started on the Holy Spirit uh, that's based out of 1 Corinthians. So would you pray with me as we begin our time together this morning? God, we believe that you have more for us. And so I pray that you would open our hearts to receive the more that you would have. The more in knowing you and experiencing you and the more in being uh, aware of the ways that we are knit together as your body. Would you grow our understanding of what it means to be uh, unified together as your body and as your people? And for we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Our text for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's long and loaded, so I encourage you, if you've got your Bible, to pull it out to follow along. And... Uh, Yeah, hang in there. There's lots for us to cover, lots of goodness in this text for us this morning. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior members, that there may be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? 
Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. A couple weeks ago, Karina kindly brought this headline to my attention. The Holy Spirit saves German driver from speeding fine. So a speeding driver in Germany was saved from a 105-euro fine when a snow-white dove interceded on his behalf. The driver was caught on speed cameras, but his identity was hidden by the bird's wings spread in flight. There's a closer. There you go. (laughs) So the officials said, we have understood this sign and we leave the speeder in peace at this time. The officials further added, we hope that the protected speeder likewise understands this hint from above and drives appropriately in the future. (laughs) Well, I don't think this spiritual gift is quite what Paul has in mind when he's writing to the church in Corinth. In fact, Paul doesn't even start off with the word gift in the first verse. It's more like concerning spiritual things. The Corinthian people did consider themselves spiritual people. It was a city made up of people who came from all over, and they brought their various deities with them. So Corinth was this hodgepodge of gods and spirituality. And Paul says, all right, you think you know about spiritual things? Let me tell you about spiritual things. First of all, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So today, as we've already said, is the Sunday in the calendar when we celebrate Pentecost, the day the believers in Jerusalem were given the Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised that he would send his Holy Spirit and to wait in Jerusalem. And Acts 2 tells us that men and women were gathered together. They were devoted to prayer. They were hanging out in a home in Jerusalem when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came upon all of them. So it's from this expression of the Spirit, this receiving of the Spirit of the believers, that Paul wants to help the particular believers in Corinth understand what this Spirit and what the gifts that have been given to them mean. In verses 1 to 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What Paul is telling the believers in Corinth is amazing and unique. The idols and the deities that they have been worshipping can't speak because there is nothing to them. In contrast, the Holy Spirit fills the believers and they all share the same spirit within them. Paul is saying all believers have access to the same spirit and stresses that it is one and the same spirit within each of them. I was wondering why Paul chooses to start his essay on spiritual things in this way. Why the emphasis on all of them having the same spirit? We can quickly read that and say, oh yeah, the same spirit, that sounds nice. But I think they needed to hear that as a foundation. Because once you start getting into the nitty-gritty of unity as believers... They and we need to come back to the foundation that we all have the same spirit within us. The believers in Corinth were divided. They were arguing about all kinds of things. Which leader they followed, which spiritual gift was better, who ate first at the communion feast. This is an incredibly diverse group of people. And they need to remember the foundation that no matter those differences, if they can say Jesus is Lord, they have the same spirit within them. We are at an incredibly divided time in our history. 
And I think Paul is calling us to remember we have the same spirit within us as all who say Jesus is Lord. There is great variety among us and different manifestations of the spirit, and they are all gifts of the same spirit, and we are united by this. The spirit of God is too immense to be manifest in only one way. The Spirit of God is too uncontainable to be contained in one gift. The Spirit of God is so elaborate that many expressions are needed to reflect the nature of the Spirit of God. And so we were given a diverse and beautiful mix of expressions. That means that all expressions of the Spirit of God help us to know something about God. Each manifestation reveals something about the nature of who God is. And it takes a variety of expressions to give us this glimpse of who God is. Just like both male and female are made in the image of God, and therefore reflect the image of God, and furthermore, without one or the other, we are not getting the full reflection of the image of God. So it is with our various ethnicities. Together, they reflect the image of God. With only our own ethnicity, we are not seeing a reflection of the full image of God. Likewise with our gifts and the various manifestations of the Spirit. A variety is needed to reflect the vastness of God. We can be assured that the foundation for this variety and oneness is none other than the triune God. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, in God's very nature, is both one and three. Both variety, diversity, and a common source. God is three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one entity. I used to sit in systematic theology class and think about that until my head hurt. (laughs) Some people think about the Trinity like H2O in three different forms, water, ice, and steam. But the triune God, this triune God, gives the body of Christ, who likewise reflects this diversity and unity. The Trinity shows up in our passage in verses 4 to 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. The same Spirit, the same Lord Jesus, and the same God the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are at work in the gifts manifest in the people of God. About half of our passage for today is devoted to Paul explaining our spiritual unity and diversity by using a particular metaphor, this metaphor for us as a body. And even more than the length that he gives to this metaphor, Paul is using a literary structure that further calls our attention to this metaphor. So this is our geeky Greek moment for this morning. In the ancient Greek language that Paul used to write this letter, there's a way of drawing our attention to make a particular point. This literary structure is called a chiasm. So here's how it works. If you're making an argument about something, like let's say, okay, so here we go. So I eat apples a lot. Oranges are nice too, but I really love chocolate-covered strawberries. Oranges are, are fine, and I get kind of tired of apples. So that's kind of the flow of an argument. And what that's supposed to do is it's supposed to draw our attention to the point in the middle. Chocolate-covered strawberries. (laughs) Because who doesn't want our attention? Like, like, let's be real. Chocolate-covered strawberries are totally the winner on that, right? So it's supposed to draw. You hear these repeated things. It goes like A, B, C, B, A. And it says, 
they're all important, but pay attention to C in the middle. So with that in mind, let's draw our attention to our passage today. Paul says he talks about many gifts. He gives a list of the gifts. Then he talks about being the body of Christ. And then he spends this huge chunk of time talking about the parable of the human body. He talks again about the body of Christ and many gifts. And the point of all this is that we need to pay attention to this metaphor for us as the, par- as the human body. This parable, right in the middle. That's the thing that he's saying, don't miss this. And so that means that any discussion or consideration of spiritual gifts must be taken in light of the body for the common good. So let's talk a little bit about what Paul says about the body. We are one body with many parts. As we've already seen, Paul has been emphasizing this point through the whole passage, not just with, um, not just with this particular metaphor, but it is brought to life in this metaphor of the body. Through this, though this passage is about the gifts of the Spirit, as Paul has mentioned, here he adds further to the picture of the diversity of the body. Not just different gifts, but different ethnicities, different occupations, socioeconomic backgrounds, all, as he says, baptized into one body and all made to drink of one Spirit. I want us to pause here, because I believe this is a place where we have room to grow. We are missing part of the body of Christ if we all look the same. We are missing part of the reflection of who God is when we only hear one particular kind of voice or we all have the same gifts. A diversity of voices contributes to a fuller understanding of who God is. But this will not happen on its own. Left without intention, we naturally gravitate to those that are like us and eventually find ourselves with a limited view of the world and of God. It takes deliberate action, perseverance, willingness to fail, and a posture of learning to receive the incredible and joyful gift that it is to have true communion with a diversity of people. One summer when I worked with University Christian Fellowship, we took a dozen students and spent a couple weeks living in and volunteering with a church in Toronto that cares for the marginalized in the city. We slept on the floor in the sanctuary, and on the first morning, we were awoken at 6 a.m. to some of the most bizarre sounds I have ever heard. There was chanting and wailing and a language that I didn't understand, and it was coming from the room below us. And honestly, it totally gave me the creeps. We later found out that a Korean church used the space and had prayer meetings every morning downstairs. I had never heard a prayer meeting like that. It helped me to know a little bit that they were praying, but I was honestly still pretty weirded out and a little annoyed when they woke me again the next day and the next day and so on. Well, soon after that, InterVarsity was entrusted with a network of six Korean Christian Fellowship student groups, and I was assigned to work with the group at the University of Toronto. Over the next few years, I came to deeply love the Korean-Canadian students. I learned to cook chapjae and bibimbap. I learned about K-pop and Korean dramas. And I learned more about the Korean church. And one thing I learned, wow, can they pray? Their devotion to prayer as a community is truly remarkable. If you ever find yourself in a Korean church at 6 a.m., you will likely find a prayer meeting. And don't be surprised if it's loud. 
stick around and see what it means to cry out together to God with devotion. We have a lot to learn from our Korean sisters and brothers about how to pray. When I was ignorant, something different seemed weird, creepy, annoying, and I honestly questioned if it was evil. In my ignorance, Paul would have reminded me, like he does at the beginning of our passage, you have the same spirit within you. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You just haven't heard the Spirit sound like that before. Enjoy. We have a Filipino-Canadian congregation that meets right here in this space on Sunday afternoons called Champion Life. I've never been to a service, but I'd really like to go. And I'd like to invite you to join me. Seriously. If you want to come, talk to me after the service, and let's pick a time to go. There is more for us to experience in the body of Christ. Dismantling the hierarchy. Paul has two critiques for us here. One for those of us that say, I'm just a foot, I don't really matter, and so I'm not really part of the body. And a second critique for us who elevate those with particular gifts and overlook others. In both cases, we are not seeing ourselves or others rightly as integral members in the body of Christ. We are tempted to assign importance to various roles and gifts, and Paul says no. Don't diminish your role because you're only a foot, and you wish instead you were like that eyeball. See the opportunities in the gift God has given you, and look for those with gifts that are less obvious and honor them. I've had the privilege of leading a discipleship group this year called Project 242, and each week I am completely humbled by the stories around the table about the ways the group members are sharing and living out their faith. There are incredible spiritual gifts around that table that are to be honored and recognized, and I bet the same is true in your small groups. Different parts are critical. I love it when Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Like, that's funny. Picture that with me for a minute. The whole body and I. <laughs> Disney helps us out with this a little bit. Okay, or maybe it's like a bodybuilder who works super hard on their arms and upper body, the parts that show. And this was Justin's line as we were prepping this week. But this bodybuilder forgets leg day at the gym. <laughs> Paul says, no, we need a body that has arms and legs and feet and a nose and a proportioned body with all the parts. And then he says, be content in your part. It's because every person, every gift is critical that Paul calls us to be content with the gifts that we are given. Quit looking at what somebody else has or thinking yours is not important and instead ask, how does the body of Christ need the gift that I have been given. Paul says it in verse 18. God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Each of the members arranged as God chose. We need each other. The metaphor reminds us that we must belong to one another. Just as it's totally ridiculous to think about an arm hanging out by itself... So it's ridiculous to think about us and our gifts apart from the body of Christ. 
we are not meant to function alone. We are designed to reach our fulfillment together because we are actually attached to each other. Paul's not wasting his breath with these 13 verses. Apart from the body, we are not our full selves. And alternatively, the body is not whole when it's without all its members. Richard Hayes writes this, Because God has arranged the body as an interdependent organism in which diversity is essential, the differences between members should not lead to division, but to the members caring for one another. As part of applying to the Project 242 Discipleship Group, the members committed to attend our gatherings for the whole year every Wednesday night, as well as three weekend-long seminars. Why was that significant commitment required? Because we are trying to create a team, our own mini-body representing the collective body of Christ. And our team knows when we are not whole. We feel it. This last week, we missed a couple of members who had legitimate reasons to not make it, but it honestly felt kind of like we were wonky, like we were walking around without one of our legs or something. We missed those voices, and we missed celebrating in the joys and sharing in the sufferings together that night. We often diminish ourselves thinking, oh, they won't notice, or it doesn't matter if I'm there. That's just not true. You can ask any of my team, and I am confident they will say the same thing. It is not the same when we are missing part of ourselves. I was on a team of 10 university staff in Toronto, and if one of us had to miss our weekly team meetings, our leaders would make us all reschedule the meeting. It drove me crazy that nine of us would have to change our schedules, and we wouldn't meet unless we could all be together. But I learned the value of that. And that we can't really move forward together as a team if we are missing our foot. The body suffers and rejoices as one unit. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Last October, we lost a beloved member of our congregation, Pam Bartosi. Pam was all over this church and had a significant place in many hearts. Just before Christmas, my daughter Zoe, who's six, was asked to participate in one of the Advent readings. She was really excited about this. And one day I was saying, Zoe, you're going to do this reading in front of the whole church. And she immediately stopped me and said, no, Mom, not the whole church. Pam died. The six-year-old knew the church wasn't whole because we were missing our Pam. This is suffering together. This week, just this morning, we heard the good news that Ben and Lindsay, their twins have arrived, Isabel and Clayton. And I heard, as you heard that news, how you all rejoiced together. I can feel it whenever we get to make an announcement like that, the body rejoicing together. So with all of this as foundation, setting the table, Paul then goes on to talk a little bit more about gifts. And we're going to briefly mention a little bit about these gifts. These are gifts of the Spirit. They are gifts of the Spirit, and they are for the common good. So first and foremost, gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts are for those who abide, who make our home with Jesus, and whose Spirit makes home in us. The Holy Spirit gives the gifts to us as gifts. These are different from natural abilities or talents, 
and they are not things that we can muster on our own, no matter how hard we try. The gifts are evidence of the Spirit's presence in our lives. It can be so tempting to be prideful of our gifts, especially if they are affirmed by others, but we must remember we cannot do these apart from the Spirit of God. And they are gifts, something that we must trust are for our good, even though it may not always feel like it. Okay, so if you hear nothing today, please hear what's coming up next. If I was Paul, this would be at the center of my chiasm. But don't worry, we're more than halfway through. (laughs) So verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The gifts are given not to elevate members or even to make members feel spiritual, but for the common good, to build up, encourage, correct, and strengthen the body. So as we ask God about our individual gifts, we must do this considering the context of believers to which we are a part. Paul gives us, these are a list of things in 1 Corinthians in two different places, the gifts that are mentioned. And I don't think that Paul is intending for this list to be exhaustive. But rather, I think he is giving some context for the variety of gifts and responding to particular particular issues in the Corinthian church that they are facing. Justin's going to talk a little bit more about that in two weeks. But this list, list gives us a helpful starting point. And if this is not something that you have thought about before, and you are someone that says Jesus is Lord, it might be good to ask the Lord what gifts he has given you. Sometimes a good place to start with is to ask a couple wise people who know you well what they think. There's a really good chance that they'll be able to tell you. So I'm going to briefly, briefly define the gift and give a quick example of where we see this in Scripture. Wisdom, the capacity to understand and know how to act. In Acts 15, the new church was facing difficulties knowing what to do with these new Gentile believers. They weren't just Jews anymore, and they were at an impasse about whether the Gentiles, who are non-Jews, who were following Jesus, needed to obey the Jewish law. James gets up, he quotes from scripture, and with incredible wisdom proceeds to tell them what they should do and why. Knowledge. Understanding or having information about something that perhaps you otherwise wouldn't know. In Acts 5, Peter knows that two members of the community are not telling the truth about the money from property that they sold, and he calls them out on it. With these two gifts in particular, wisdom and knowledge, the Corinthian people prided themselves on having wisdom and knowledge. Alex talked about that on the first week. Paul is no doubt reframing their understanding and differentiating the wisdom and knowledge that comes from God from their own intellectual ability. Faith. Faith is trust in something that cannot be seen. And though all member, all believers possess faith, some are given an extra measure of faith for a particular purpose. Ananias in Acts 9 is told to go find a, go- a guy named Saul of Tarsus. Ananias knows that this Saul has done terrible things and is on a mission to arrest Christians. But the Lord tells him Saul is his chosen instrument. And so, Ananias risks his life and demonstrates faith in going to Saul. Healing. Being a conduit of physical or spiritual healing. In Acts 3, Peter and James are on their way up to the temple, and they see a guy who can't walk and is begging. Peter tells him in the name of Jesus to walk. He helps him up, and instantly he can walk. 
miracles or doing something that defies common expectations of behavior and perhaps challenges the laws of nature. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison, and they are praying and singing praises to God when there was a huge earthquake that shook the prison, so much that the doors were opened and their chains were loosed. Discernment of spirits, an ability to distinguish between what is of God and what is evil. In Acts 16, a servant girl starts following Paul and his friends for days, crying out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. Doesn't sound too bad, but Paul, because he has a gift of being able to discern, eventually turns and says, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and an unclean spirit leaves. Perhaps you've had the experience of being in a particular place and just having a sense of evil or just wanting to get out of there. It's happened to me a couple of times, but some people have a particular gift for this where they sense that frequently. You can start to see here why we need each other, right? If someone has, doesn't have that gift and walks into a place, we need the gifts of one another to be able to help us see. Tongues and interpretation. The tongues are speaking a language that you wouldn't otherwise have an ability to speak. And interpretation, being able to interpret that language into a language that people can understand. Again, at Acts 2 at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers, like we talked about this morning, and they all speak in all of these different languages. And then Peter gets up, and he interprets and explains to the crowd what is going on. I love that most of these I chose coming from Acts, because like we said, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to the believers at the beginning of the book of Acts, and then all throughout Acts, there's these demonstrations of the ways that people are getting to live out of this gift and the presence of the Spirit. So this is the beginning of the second list, the apostles. Like we said at the beginning, there's one description of lists earlier in the chapter and one description later. So an apostle is a person that is sent to start a new ministry, someone who carries the message of the gospel. The apostle Paul is probably the most famous example. He traveled all over to different places telling people about Jesus and forming Christian communities. He didn't stay forever in one place, but this was one of his gifts to get things started. Apostles are mentioned first in this list of gifts, and I think that's because that's what's needed first. First, you need an apostle to go and to start. And after that, it might be helpful to have a prophet, someone to speak truth. So a prophet is someone who speaks a particular word at a particular time to a particular people for a particular purpose and grounded in a particular text. In Acts 2, there's a large group gathering around the disciples because they've been speaking in all these different kinds of languages. And then Peter speaks a particular word to the people that is grounded in Scripture. And in Acts 2, it says the believers were cut to the heart when they heard this word. Being a prophet, for anyone that might have this gift, is often a lonely and difficult calling. Prophets constantly live seeing two realities. They see the current reality... And they see what should be. And it is very challenging to live as one that sees both of those things. You're constantly living in the tension of what could be and what is not yet. Part of the maturing of a prophet is to learn to settle in that tension and to trust that this really is a gift from God. Teachers are those who pass on their knowledge and wisdom to others. In Acts 18, Priscilla and Aquila have heard this enthusiastic new believer who's speaking boldly in the synagogue. And they take him aside and they teach him the way of God more accurately. 
Assistance is a particular passion to offer help to others. One of the disciples in Acts is named Tabitha, and in Acts 9.36, it says that she was always doing good and helping the poor. She made clothes for widows, and apparently her ministry was so significant and valuable that after she died, she was raised from the dead to continue her work. The people with this gift in the church you may not know about, but you'll find them in the kitchen or visiting our seniors or in the maintenance room, or yesterday I saw some of them outside around the grounds, quietly doing what they know needs to be done, but that others might miss or overlook. Leadership. Leadership is a sense of knowing where a community needs to go and an ability to organize what's needed to get there. And it's analogous to the piloting of a ship. So we see Paul's gift of leadership in Acts 27, when he is on a ship, conveniently, And though he is not the pilot, but rather a prisoner, he shows that he knows what they should do and how they should go about it. So hopefully this list just gets the wheels turning. And perhaps with those brief descriptions, something jumped out at you. Or maybe the Holy Spirit nudged you and said, I've given you that. Courtright Church, I believe the Holy Spirit has more for us as a community. Maybe there are new gifts for us to receive, Or perhaps there is a need to step out in the gifts that we have already been given. Or perhaps there is more of a working together out of a collaboration of our gifts with one another. A number of years ago, I was um, with our InterVarsity staff community, and we had a sense that the Holy Spirit had more for us, and that we were to ask if there was a gift the Spirit wanted to give us. I had this inclination that I was supposed to ask for a particular gift, and this gift I've been thinking about for some time. So in prayer with a friend, I asked for the gift, and then I had a sense, it sounds kind of strange, but that I had to kind of try it on. I honestly felt like somebody had given me a pair of jeans, and kind of in my mind, I sort of tried them on, this gift. And I just had this clear sense, no, these just, this doesn't fit, this isn't it. So my friend said, well, ask if there's a different gift that he wants to give you. And from what seemed like nowhere, a word came into my mind that was the name of a different gift, and it shocked me. But once again, I felt like somebody gave me a new pair of jeans, and kind of in my mind, as I tried them on, I went, oh, these fit. Now, this was just one particular experience that I had, and God likes variety, and he doesn't always work in the same way. But I offer that to you as an example of asking God if there is more that he has for you, and then considering what he says. One more encouragement that I'd like to give us. It is really important that we find mentors in the faith who have the same gift, to teach us about the gift and to help us mature in it. One of the university staff that I supervised was given a particular gift that I wasn't very familiar with. She would often experience physically in her body what we needed to pray for the community. And this kind of prayer was really intense and profound. So we found an older staff member in the organization who also had this gift, and she was really helpful to my friend, and helpful for her in understanding her gift, but also in maturing in it. And I think this is really important for whatever gifts we have. So at the very end of our chapter, after listing all of these gifts, Paul ends with this, but strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So if you want to know the more excellent way, Come back next week.
And if you can't wait that long, you can just read the next chapter. (laughs) The question for us to consider, Courtright, is this. Lord, what gifts would you like to give Courtright as a community? And is there something that you are giving me or inviting me to step into? I am confident that there is more for us and that he wants us to ask. So I'd like for us to close in prayer and just um, in silence for a moment, ask this of God together. So I'll pray for us. Lord, we do believe that you have more for us. And we want to ask you, what gifts would you like to give Courtright as a community? And is there something that you are giving me or inviting me to step into? And I pray, Spirit, that in this brief moment of silence that you would speak and then then you would be continuing to speak to us. And God, would you help us to keep asking and seeking you in this? And would you continue to speak about what more you have for us? And God, we want to pray and welcome more. We pray that you would fill us more with your spirit, that we would be more united together, and that we would be a witness to you and who you are because of our being united together as your body and your people. For we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, and amen to that word. God has more in store for us. Um, I'm going to pray that he would reveal what he has to us, that he would bless us in the ways that we've already heard about this morning. I want to say first that I was away this past week at General Assembly, as some of you know, and it was a really hard week in a lot of ways. And the Presbyterian Church in Canada um, gathers annually at its General Assembly, and this one, my third General Assembly over the years, was challenging like none I'd experienced before.